from the William Hill Sportsbook at Silver Sevens Hotel and Casino. It's Cofield and Company. Another addition to my uh, drunky McDrunkerson collection. Lettuce is a fine topping if you have got like nine things. Don't waste one of your three on we go. lettuce. Both of you probably could use a salad. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. Silver 7's Thursday, home of Cofield and Company. You know, I was just thinking uh, here in Greeny, I miss our wine of the week. We have to bring that back in the fall. We'll bring that back. I, I enjoyed hearing from Greeny. He's a different sort of voice on our show. So I promise. Well, I can't promise, but we're going to try to bring that back. Five o'clock hour. Ari's back in our Finley Toyota Studios. Jeff is in today helping us out here at Silver 7. You come on down, sign up for A Play. Then you're good to go in the Players Club, and you can take advantage of all the food specials like the uh, 777 Shrimp Cocktail. Take advantage of drink specials like Happy Hour going on right now, 277 for beers and margaritas and well drinks and shots. Uh, going back to the John Murray conversation real quick before we get into the Big Five, I hadn't seen any of the stuff about uh, DJT, about Trump. I wasn't watching the card because I was on the road, and I didn't realize that that is they, – they never got him on the broadcast. He's barely been out, and Dana White loves him. Dana White's spoken at both of – you know, um, what, both the most recent Republican national conventions – they didn't get him on. Dana, and, and Dana were, and the were, and, executive and, producer and, of the broadcast. And there were people who thought it was ESPN blocking. Oh, look up ESPN. Do like a Twitter search of ESPN and Trump. No, Dan, and it was, ESPN woke, won't even show the president, blah, 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 blah. Like, Dana, Dana White has, is the producer. Dana has his, he has control of every single element. It's actually one of the rare broadcast deals where the, you know, the entity, the sports organization maintains control. That's always the way they wanted it. Right. And think, think about it. Like Even I back, back to the Fox deal and back, you know deals before that with smaller outlets. I just mentioned it with like ESPN paid Ariel a lot of money, and he was never on the broadcast. Yeah. Because UFC is in complete control wow. of the broadcast. What a screw up. All right, Big Five time. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five. Number five. We'll do it live. We'll do it live. We're on video right now up on Twitter, on Facebook, so check us out as we're doing Big Five here at Silver Sevens. You like bears, but you have a healthy respect for them. Uh, what did you think of the video that just came out with a uh, bear family? You know, it's been hot everywhere in the West. Yeah. Apparently looking for some cold water, and they start jumping in Lake Tahoe. One of the first things I look for, because the bears in the foreground are, you know, it's pretty cute. There's, you know, I think it's a mama bear and, and like, three cubs. And they're frolicking in the water. And I was looking around. I'm like, is anyone dumb enough to be close to them? I did notice a lady who was a, you know, a bit thicker, maybe not fleet of foot, like booking to get out of the water. Sure. Uh, now, I, I will. Like running. You, you were saying I'm not correct. You were just saying I, bears, I don't, I don't necessarily love bears. I love bears doing human things. I'm going to say bears swimming in a lake not with, with people. It's a bear thing, but because they're doing it around a bunch of people and they're doing it okay. because it's hot out and they're just trying to cool off, I'm going to say this is a human thing. So it qualifies. I think it qualifies. I loved it. I watched the video a bunch of times. You, you said it uh, for the show, but I had already watched it a bunch. I, I loved this. Uh, it's just it's bears that are like, we got to cool off. We're oh, There's some people in that water. We're going in that water too. And 
the fact that there, you mentioned the lady running, there's a bunch of people that are just like, all right, cool, bears are here too. Like, I would be so out of there. Yeah. There are, there are some boats in the distance that are tied down. Would it have gone next level if uh, one of the bears had jumped into the boat and was, like, behind the wheel? <laughs> I, I, oh, I would have had to go, bears. like, on vacation. I would have just been, like, so happy. I couldn't even do anything. It would have been so great. Uh, yeah, this was all all wonderful. Um, good thing the bears were chill. I, I also think the reason the people weren't that scared is because it was so hot that they're like, those bears ain't doing any attacking. Like, it's too hot for attacking right now. They're just chilling. Is that right? You think people process it that way? I think so. I, the bears look like they're like, we just need to get some water, like, as soon as possible. Like, I thought one of the bears was about to crack open a seltzer. Number four. All right, we officially have the date now, and it was you know speculated last week. October 9th is going to be the Fury Wilder resched date. The fight was coming up two Saturdays from now. Big loss for Vegas. That's a shame. That would have been a big event in town July 24th weekend. October 9th weekend is going to be pretty tremendous. Now, the Raiders game won't be going head-to-head with Fury and Wilder, but, you know, that whole thing about the city swelling when there's a lot going on around the stadium being full will be interesting. That'll be a good test that weekend. Yeah, there's gonna, there's a bunch of weekends. I know there's a UFC card that's going to be two weeks before that at T-Mobile with a, a Raiders game. There's a UFC card that night, I think, on October 9th, too. But not, not a pay-per-view. Yeah, a little overshadowed by Fury Wilder now. Yeah, but I was, I'm saying there's a, a UFC pay-per-view on the on the 25th, the same. It'll be just hours before Raiders-Dolphins, Ooh. Uh, which will be, you know, hours the night before. But, you know, um, so, yeah, th- there's going to be events like this uh, to watch for a long time. I mean, we didn't even mention the other night that, you know, we had the two major events with Garth Brooks and the UFC event that were going on at the same time while, like, Bruno Mars was playing next door. This city is insane, and it's only going to be more and more crazy with all these events coming up. And when there's major events the weekend of Raiders games, this town is going to be crazy. Number three. The city is insane. Let's keep with that theme. Uh, Violence, allegedly. And we do know this. Dwayne Haskins had a tooth knocked out. The quarterback who went from the football team now to the Steelers on his second chance. Well, he's married to actually a Gondrzejk. Right, it's uh, Grant Gondra's ex-daughter who played at Michigan State, played basketball. Who was she with before? Oh, you know who she was with? Uh, Nick Ward. Remember, he's a kind of a giant, lumpy dude, six-nine guy, <laughs> sure. high-level recruit, pretty solid player for for Izzo. Well, something happened between them at the Cosmo. She was arrested. Now it's what, what like twelve days ago, um, and she's facing domestic violence charges. Dwayne Haskins, a quarterback for the Steelers, you know, backup, whatever he is, third, fourth stringer, had his tooth knocked out. Yeah, uh, and you know, they got the police got there, they found the tooth. I guess fortunately, I, I don't know if he was able to, you know, put it back in or how, how that operated, but uh, it was found, it was located, and he had a busted lip as well. So, sounds like some pretty significant damage done by this punch, uh, which you know, I, I we we referenced earlier, there is kind of a weird feeling that people have when it's like when the guy is the victim of domestic abuse but it is a, it is a problem and it's a problem that people don't seem to take seriously enough sometimes it's a real thing and i i immediately of course saw people really making light of it not really funny um but you know hopefully they can both move on from this and you know learn and get better the other big case out there richard sherman uh charges have actually been reduced 
in his dust-up the other day. Uh, the state is not asking for the – because originally it was, what, burglary, domestic violence charge. Uh, there's no burglary charge. Downgraded to a charge of criminal trespass, misdemeanor. He's got uh, multiple misdemeanors, I guess he's facing. Criminal trespass, malicious, uh, malicious mischief. Say that fast. Uh, DUI, potentially. And uh, resisting arrest. The weird thing on the DUI is I, the initial statements from, I think it was the Washington State Police, said the, the blood test like won't be back for months. They're backlogged, wow. and the whole system is jammed up. I never understand when the, like how long it takes, but I, I guess, yeah, if you have a lot of samples to process it's it's going to take a long time um yeah we you know we started to see a lot more details come out about this yesterday uh and it's going to be more and more as you know weeks and uh, obviously as the tests take a long time months drag on here uh this is probably not going to be resolved very soon and that's probably not a great thing for richard sherman i mean obviously his life is more important and you know getting things corrected there is more important but in terms of football like he was kind of waiting and trying to feel out the market and seeing who needed somebody at the you know at the last minute where he can go sign this is not going to be good for him in in terms of you know where does he go football wise it's probably the you know last thing on his mind right now uh but the season's starting soon number two. Oh boy here come the stories here come the stories the wild and woolly times of the stanley cup did someone dent the cup it was dented pretty significantly. Really? Like the actual cup part on the top is no longer round. They dented the top? It was like it was like oblong on the top. Oh, wow. And so there was quite a wild party with the, with the jet skis, and, you know, the Stanley Cup was, you know, all over the place at this party, just like the uh, Lombardi Trophy was in Champa Bay uh, earlier this year. Uh, but, yeah, I think people assumed when they saw the dent uh, that it was a party error. You know, somebody got a little too drunk, dropped it either off a jet ski or what, whatever happened there. Um, and nobody really knew what exactly went down. But it sounds like Pat Maroon, who was on St. Louis on the Blues, won a title and then now has won back-to-back titles with the Lightning. So three straight years, uh, he's got to party with it. Um, he is saying that this was more a weather issue than a drunk and partying issue. He said it was raining and wet. He went to lift it, and as he went backwards with it, he slipped. Uh, his brother held him up, but the cup went back on its end, oh, fell wow. down, and uh, and was damaged. And so uh, he said, hey, people are saying we're disrespecting the cup. That's just BS, because if they had half a brain, you would know that it's wet outside. You think we'd be throwing the cup around? No, we didn't disrespect it. It was a complete and total accident, and we both got hurt. My back's been hurt all day. Uh, but, yeah, that's what happened. It wasn't anything crazy. Disrespecting the cup. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it looks, who, who is, who's it looks in, bad. Who's in the crowd that gets upset and posts messages about being upset with the disrespect to the, to the Stanley Cup? <laughs> Are these the same ones who got mad at the beach ball bouncing around the fortress? Maybe. Do they not know some of the other stories about the cup? Do you realize when the cup first comes back, if they ran a black light over it, <laughs> do you know what that cup would look like? Do you realize in the deep depths of Pornhub, the cup is featured? Wait, what? I made that up. Okay. I but I could just imagine there's a year where, you know, let's, I mean, I let's go. Like there's rules. Let's I- fill the cup. Like, oh, no. No one wanted to see that picture. 
There are rules. Fat though. Phil Kessel ate hot dogs out of it. Now I don't know if he used it to boil the hot dogs. From what I understand, the cup is not allowed to go to strip clubs. Is that right? I mean, it may have been attempted to. Be oh really? Taken to Someone one tried at to bring it in when the cup in, was won in, in Vegas. In Vegas, yeah. strip. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah, and yet. The cup actually, Stanley Cup actually made an appearance in the uh, Finley Toyota Studios at one point. Yeah. Were you there that day? The handler. Yeah, the handler with the gloves and everything. Oh, yeah. That's why he wears gloves, by the way, that blacklight reference. Um, were you there that day? Uh, I was there around the, I don't know, I think it was more than once. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I, I was only in studio one time when I came in. We interviewed the handler. He had the white gloves on. And then uh, there was a line outside of the studio to take a picture with the cup. And at the end of the show, I just packed up, and, and they're like, hey, you're going you're gonna to take a picture with the cup? I'm like, I got to go. <laughs> now, that's disrespecting the cup, not dropping it. The dropping it is actually like it's like a labor of love that you care so much about the cup that you're carrying it this, you know, you're lugging this thing around. I was like, see ya. Well, it, it, I think you're respecting it in that you didn't win it, so you don't get to take a picture with it. I'm just not a trophy guy. That's a good one, though. It's, it was impressive. It was a large trophy. It's got to be one of the best in sports just because it's it is it, it, it's transferred around. Yeah. Like it's not just you don't just make a new one every year. You, you know, it's it's an actual like one thing. So that that's a cool part of it and I think like the bumps and the bruises that the cup takes are just part of the history. Number 1. Well, speaking of bumps and bruises last night the the Bucks took some bumps. No calls were made. Devin Booker got to stay in the game. My God, it's a 2-2 series. What, what would have happened if the Bucks had gone cold? You don't get the Giannis block. You don't get the, the Giannis steal slash Chris Paul turnover. And Booker hits a bunch of threes, and they're up 3-1 right now. The NBA would be on its ear. Yeah, I, I mean. And I'm glad the officials came out after the game and said, yeah, 341 left, that, that hug in the air that Booker put on Drew Holiday, that was a foul. He should have fouled out. Looks not. It's not hard to come out when you realize that he did it on purpose. Again, he committed a foul on purpose to send the Bucks to the line. It was his sixth foul, so the referee's like, we're not getting him out of the game on that. Like, what do you mean he did it on purpose? He voluntarily did it. You can put him out of the game on that. Uh, so it was, a, it was a weird scenario, but, yeah, in the end, uh, the Bucks get the win, like, you know, a lot of people expected. And now they go back, and it's a best-of-three series. And I feel like unless – I was trying to formulate this. The Suns will not win game six. So game five to me is massive. It's the Suns can win game five at home, and then that means we'll have a seven-game series. Or the Bucks can go on the road and win, and then it's over in six. The Bucks are going to win game six in Milwaukee. Confident. So it's will the Suns win one of the two games at home? You know, a lot of the, the home predictions, though, have been based on the fact that I think you get some home cooking with the officials. Last night was weird. And I, 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 this is what I would like to see the rest of the way. Just the way the fourth quarter went, that's it. That's it. Nothing's a foul. It has to be pretty damn bad. And the other thing is, you don't have to try to foul out. Like, the two foul guys basically are Jay Crowder and P.J. Tucker. Now, Crowder's more of an offensive contributor. Like, you don't have to annihilate them as well with fouls to make up for not calling it on the Stars. But, yeah, I want to – let's go! (laughs) 
Let's do it. We've played a long season. Everyone's tired. Let's freaking let's test the stamina and and battle it out. And I'm also I don't know when this happened. I think it's because of Suns and Four Guy, and the embracing of Suns and Four Guy. I'm rooting for the Bucks. Well, I bet the Bucks too. I bet the Bucks for the series. But I, I, I actually and I like CP3, but I think I want to see Giannis win more than CP3. Well, I know I do. I mean, I've I've been a Giannis guy f- from day one, so I'm I'm excited about that. And I was a Bucks fan for a while growing up. And you are not a CP3 guy in terms of not him being an annoyance. No, I don't like him. Um, I like him in commercials. I like his brother more than him. Um, I like those commercials too. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I would like to see Giannis win. I don't care. I mean, I'm not going to celebrate if they win or anything. I would just prefer, I guess, to see Giannis win uh, the the championship. Um, I do. I also. I, I don't know if you saw it the other day when uh, Sean O'Malley is a big Suns fan. He's a, a UFC fighter, kind of an emerging star. What a missed opportunity by him. Because you mentioned Suns and Four guy. Sean O'Malley landed like the most punches we've ever seen land in a fight. It finally gets stopped with like 10 seconds left, kind of controversial stoppage. But then he grabs the microphone and goes, let's go Suns. Why not Suns and Four? It was 2 nothing at the time. You, you, what a wasted opportunity he had. Get on the mic and say it. I, I was very disappointed by that. It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battle Born Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battle Born Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. Holler, if you hear me! If I can hit it down the middle of the fairway, that's great, but again, with the driver right now, the driver sucks. It's uh, not a good face for me, and we're still trying to figure out how to make it uh, good on the miss hits. It's quite finicky for me because it's a golf course that's, just, that's pretty short. Uh, but when it's in the middle of fairway, like I had it on 18, I was able to hit a nice shot in there to 11 feet and almost made birdie. There he is. Big Papa Bryce. Big Papa Pump. The Scott Steiner of golf. Holla! If you hear me! Cobra Golf Equipment. Oh, they heard him. <laughs> They're pissed. Uh... They ripped him, and then uh, DeChambeau came back with a cl- an apology that was clearly prompted by him getting a real talking to from someone. He basically said, sorry, that was unprofessional to rip the clubs. I sucked, not the equipment. Well, especially when you, know, when you listen to what uh, the equipment company said, when Cobra came out and one of their uh, executives was saying, you know, he's had a role in designing. <laughs> it's not like, <laughs> like they just hand him equipment right. and they're like, hey, use this. Like they've been working on and fine tuning this equipment for like five years with all of his um, insights and all of his, uh, you know, thoughts on it. Like this is designed for him. It's, it's insane. But it's, it's also Bryson whining as he does and not really thinking, I don't think, about the ramifications of. Hey, not only do you have a sponsorship deal, you help design this, you sell it to people. Right. As like, as, hey, this is Bryson DeChambeau's driver. Probably not the right thing to say. But him speaking and not thinking is why he's one of the only relatable, likable guys on the PGA Tour or golf in general. Because obviously right now they're, they're playing the Open. Is he likable? He's relatable. Okay. That all of us can be hothead jackasses, or many of us can. I know there's a, a bunch of folks who don't like him, but it's a, it's great for golf. Sure. Like the 
there are so many jerks and stiffs, especially the jerks, who try to cover it up, and every once in a while their true self comes out. If they just acted like the animals they are, like Patrick Reed does, and like DeChambeau, I actually think golf would be even more popular. Like if Phil Mickelson went full Phil all the time, he'd be so hated by so many people but still liked by others. Like he's big now. He'd be even bigger. Yeah, and then they try it. Like with everyone like, act like Bryce. Just, like, just you freaking wear your emotions on your sleeves. Kepka tries it with like the needling and stuff. Like I mean, yeah. they, there's some guys that try it here and there. Uh, but you're right. I, I mean, it's there is still even though we've gone to an era, and I think Tiger changed a lot of the golf world, and guys do show personality a little bit more. Like there is still like that hesitation of like the country club background of a lot of the guys to like really show who they are and really allow that to be seen and some of them are just really hateable which would be hey go ahead and show that and we can hate you and then other people will like you and you'll be more marketable more on game four in the nba finals uh sons lose lots of turnovers in the game it's now a 2-2 series curtis terry our basketball expert on thursdays will check in and uh, we'll concentrate especially on the side of the bucks and that defense down the stretch join the conversation on twitter at espn las vegas Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s, it's Cofield and Company. Rolling on 5 o'clock hour, Silver 7s is the site. Curtis Terry is up with us for his Thursday spot, and we follow up Game 4 of the NBA Finals. I thought the Bucks would win, but that was not easy. They uh, trailed most of the game, and when they needed to get stops, they got stops down the stretch. That's the name of the game, Steve. Uh, they were they were able to lock in and get some stops. I think that's one thing that they weren't able to do in games one and games two in Phoenix. They were got, got in big holes, battled back, but used so much energy uh, trying to get back in the game. They just didn't have enough to get over that hump and, and to finish out those games. But you definitely saw them turn up defensively late in that fourth quarter um, and, and make enough plays, especially Middleton, made enough plays offensively for them to be able to, to snuff out the Phoenix Suns and, and get away with the win and, and tie this thing up and head back to Phoenix. We're all prisoners of the moment. So the chatter started last night after the uh, Giannis oop block of Aiton, that that was the best block ever. Best block ever? Uh, Free some memory for sure. Obviously, the other one that that stands out was LeBron James in the finals with the Cavs against the Warriors. That was a great chase down block, and that obviously changed the tide of, of that game and that series. But that one last night, if he if he doesn't go for it, uh, they tie the game on that, and then who knows what happens the rest of the way. But that definitely was momentum swift, uh, change, get that block, they go down. They don't score that next possession. But again, him just making the effort, not not worried about getting dunked on like he mentioned post game. He thought he was going to get dunked on, but just making that <laughs> effort to turn, jump, and just try to make, meet Aiden at the rim uh, in, in perfect timing. And the freak was able to get the block, and that, that kind of sealed the deal in my eyes. Yeah, uh, most people watched it live or have seen the video on the, the internets. Um, I'll tell you the picture. I saw a picture of the, like just how high both of them were and especially Aiden. Aiden was actually a little bit higher than Giannis. Uh, I want to talk more about Giannis, but Aiden as an athlete, like I, I, you know, I think down the road we're still going to look back and go, man, Luca was really good and Phoenix didn't get him. But man, Aiden, his upside is freaking ridiculous from an athleticism standpoint. Yeah, and I think that's the thing that, that kind of triggers his game all around. Obviously, defensively, he's really good. He's got really good feet. He's got great timing on, on blocking shots at the rim. 
Uh, he can even hedge out and guard the pick and roll. I think the one thing we're going to continue to see from him is offensively, his game's going to continue to grow. And what we're seeing a lot of is, is Chris Paul setting the table, lobbing him the ball on pick and rolls to the basket. Uh, but we don't see much of him catching in the post and kind of back to the basket post moves. But I think that's going to continue to come because he's still young on his first contract. But I think the, the, the sky's the ceiling for in, in terms of for DeAndre Ayton here moving forward. Yeah, Chris Paul did not have a good game. He was sloppy with the ball. The Suns in general, way too many turnovers with 17. And I also thought uh, the other defensive play down the stretch that's been kind of overlooked and underpublicized was Giannis bending over and actually uh, getting a hand on a ball late as Chris Paul was trying to cross him over and he stole the ball. Yeah, and I, th- and, I, and I even tweeted out that yesterday going into the fourth quarter. I hope, I hope, I, ho- I said, I hope that, uh, I wonder if Chris Paul shotgunned any of his Chris's secret stuff because uh, he definitely needs to take some more of that. He maybe needs to beer bong it next time going into the game uh, because without him, I think they're going to have a hard time being able to get the win uh, because that's not the Chris Paul that we're used to seeing. Maybe he's getting a little tight, getting down the stretch in this moment. I uh, know he's, he's closing in on an NBA championship, but, but for Giannis to be able to make the plays defensively that he did against Chris Paul because games one and two, he was controlling the game. He was able to go down late, control the clock, uh, milk the clock, get what they wanted offensively, but just hasn't been the same the last two games for Chris Paul. And I think a lot of it has to do with just with the defensive focus and effort from Holiday, Middleton, and Giannis as well. Yeah, it, it sounds simple, but you tell us as a guy who played the game, we're talking to Curtis Terry, of course, former UNLV basketball player, and uh, now one of the voices of the Rebels, on radio on the switches how have the bucks gotten away from the quandary they were in where they had so many cases in the first couple of games where they got uh fives covering the ones how do you avoid that on the switches to make sure that it's going to be a perimeter player most of the time on cp3 well, I think the biggest thing, obviously, is, is when Lopez is in the game, he, he's not dropped back so far in his drop coverage. He's up con- contesting that a little bit more. And the guards also aren't willing to switch so easily. They're making an effort to try to get over those. But in the case when they kind of go small, in a sense, what you call for the Bucks is when they put Giannis at the five, he's able to switch screens with everybody on the floor. And that just makes them just just easier for them to guard as a team out on the floor. There's not as much miscommunication. They're all able to hold their own to some degree. Uh, and a big part of this, Chris Paul is not able to get, get by guys like he was in those first two games. He's not able to beat content off the dribble as easily. And I think a lot of guys are just figuring out their comfort zone in terms of guarding him, getting the film and what they want to do. Because when you take the ball out of his hands and make Devin Booker a playmaker, as great as he is offensively, he's not necessarily a great playmaker to create for his teammates. Only having two assists last night kind of proves that point. I think the Bucs can win the series. I think the Bucs can take a game in Phoenix, which they need to do. But I'm still worried about the fact that they're so three-happy. Last night, uh, yeah, Middleton hit a few. He was three of eight. But the rest of the guys in the starting lineup went 0 for 13. There were seven of 29 overall. I know they were a pretty proficient three-point shooting team during the season. But, you know, they've lost some players to injury. How do they, these last three games, how do they get away from being so three-happy? You know, that's just kind of who they are, though. That's that's what they've been built to do in terms of make threes. And that's when they've been they've been a high scoring team, high octane when they're able to knock down those threes. And with Giannis, the efficiency that he's had in the paint as of late, if they're able to throw in some threes on top of him being able to dominate, they're going to run away with this thing. And like I said last week, and I said it from game one, I called the Bucks in six. People thought I was crazy. I still think that they can get this if they go down and they play like they did defensively in game four, if they can continue that in game five in Phoenix, I think they get that one if they can steal it. And then it's it's a wrap. They go back to Milwaukee and they're going to have a nice celebration up there at Pfizer Forum Arena. Curtis, what is it like uh, going game to game in a series where you don't know what the officials are going to do? Because I felt like they called it pretty tight in a couple of the games. And then last night, I liked what they did. It got you know real rough down the stretch. And it's like, hey, fellas, 
just go out there and you decide it. But as a player, doesn't that screw you up mentally? Yeah, I think it's hard for you just to kind of adjust and figure out where to toe that line. And I think obviously like PJ Tucker's a guy who plays pretty physical and sometimes <laughs> they don't officiate him the same way. But in game three, I felt like they let them play a lot. There was a lot of physical play, a lot going on. It was even on both ends. And then last night, you're kind of stumped at times because you don't know what you can or cannot do based on how they're calling it. And there didn't seem like there was any consistency throughout the game. Now, obviously, it's a tough position to be an official. Um, I, I don't envy them at all. I don't want to be in their position. But I think it's definitely tough, especially in the course of a series when it's seven games and it's the matter of fact that we're going to decide the NBA championship. Guys can't get a flow and figure out how the game's going to be called play to play. But again, I think you've got to adjust to it. Uh, and obviously, the, the Milwaukee Bucks were able to adjust to it better than the Phoenix Suns were. I also thought last night both sides, uh, especially Crowder and Tucker, got way too wrapped up in talking to the officials. I knew Chris Paul down the stretch was talking to him. As a, as a teammate, how do you get you know, players on your team to, to stop doing that? Or, or is it just part of the game? It doesn't bother you. Yeah, it's, it's a part of the game. Obviously, I think there's some guys that have a longer leash to be able to talk to the officials. I think there's some guys on the team that the coach allows them to be kind of that voice on the floor for the coach and for the teammates to figure out clarification on a call or what was what happened or what's allowed and not, what's not allowed. Obviously, Chris Paul has that respect across the league to be able to do so. I think Jay Crowder, it's a distraction for him and his game and his teammates when he starts to do that. But P.J. Tucker, a guy that plays as hard as he does defensively, has the respect across the league as a defender. He goes and tries to get some clarification on what he did do, what he did not do, what's allowed or why he was called for that foul. Um, and I think, again, there's, there's guys that can do that, can not. I think when Chris Paul starts to do it, I think it distracts him. And when he's not on top of his game, it takes away from his teammates because they follow his lead. Uh, but again, when a game is not officiated consistently, guys are trying to get some clarification on what's going on. And that's why you see them try to follow up and, and kind of get that, 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 that insight or that clear line of what's going on in the court from the calls. Do you think star players should get star treatment? Uh, Booker and the refs admitted it. The play with 341 left where Holiday went up and you know Booker was all over him at like every level on his body. They admitted they got it wrong. But what do you think about star treatment? They definitely got it wrong a couple times down the stretch. I know you mentioned that. There's multiple times where he should have fouled out throughout the course of the last four minutes or so of the game. I even thought, so I was like, God, I know it's Booker. You want to keep him in there. But some of those you've got to call uh, just in terms of the, the, the integrity of the game. But star players are going to get some star calls. I think that was a little bit beyond uh, because they were blatant fouls. Obviously, if they happen earlier in the game or in the quarter, they're going to be foul called. But it's a situation where you don't want it to, to mess with the integrity of the game. And I think they got away from him a little bit there last night. I can understand why you want to keep him in. But at the same time, he's got to do a better job defensively throughout the course of the game to not put himself in that spot to be in foul trouble late in the game. He's our basketball insider on Thursdays right here on Cofield and Company as we're live at Silver Sevens. Curtis Terry is up. We got Team USA in town playing the exhibition games, getting ready for the Olympics. Oh, boy. They lost a couple of games. Uh, they get a, uh, a win back against Argentina. And, I, you know, of course, people start flipping out. To me, the Olympic and world competition has just changed from where it was 30 years ago. Um, this isn't going to be easy to win an Olympic gold. They should, but it's not shocking that they're still coming together as a team. No, it's going to take some time. And obviously with this not being a, a normal year per se in terms of with the NBA schedule, because the NBA finals would be done by now, they'd have had more time to kind of jail. Maybe more guys would have committed to playing. And that's one question I threw out on Twitter uh, when they announced the final roster was if Kevin Love's on the team, no disrespect to Kevin Love, but that just means some of the top tier guys were not going to be participating. 
And I think when you throw the top tier guys in there, they can roll out the ball and win. This is not a group to where I think they can do that. They need to gel. And the biggest thing is international basketball is night and day different from the NBA in terms of just the the effectiveness, the efficiency, um, the execution of those teams internationally, how hard they play, and the level of execution that they have on the court is a separator because NBA teams do not do that consistently throughout the game. And I think that's where you're seeing some of that in terms of those two losses that USA had. Now they did bounce back and beat Argentina, but they're going to have to lock in and be consistent each and every possession in international ball or they're going to get caught here in the Olympics. A little college basketball before we get you out of here. You know, there's still some big-name transfers available, and that's because uh, guys are making a decision up until the last minute, NBA or no NBA. Marcus Carr is one of the guys who's available. High-scoring point guard was at Minnesota. Uh, reportedly is down to Texas or playing overseas. You played overseas. You played professional basketball. What would you tell a guy like Carr, you know, at his age – is there value in going back and playing college basketball at Texas, or are you better off just going to play with men and getting a tif- uh, totally different experience maybe in Europe? It really comes down to, to his specific situation. Now, obviously, the game's a little bit – not the game. I guess international basketball and the, and the lifestyle is different now than when I played 10 years ago overseas just in terms of the technology, um, being the comfort off the court type things. But in terms of if he's ready to compete and he's going to hold himself accountable, then he can go overseas and get that experience, make some money now. But if he still needs to fine tune some things, which he probably does, hence that's why he's not going to stick in the NBA draft. You want to come back to college, be in a comfortable environment and be able to get those minutes in front of those NBA scouts um, and team executives night in and night out. That's where you want to be front and center in college. But it's about finding that best fit for you. And obviously for him going into this last year with a new coach coming in um, and, and waiting this late in the, in the process, you're not sure what you want to do and what's best going to best put the spotlight on you to be successful, to make that next step to the professional ranks. And so it's, it's a tough decision, but I think he's got to do what's going to be best for him, but it's not a situation of chasing the money unless you're in a situation where you and your family need to do so. Curtis Terry with us, voice of UNLV basketball played for the running rebels. Uh, live recruiting is back. That's a big deal. Uh, Kevin Kruger pointed that out to uh, Mike Romalo of the Las Vegas Sun saying, hey, you know, you got to see guys close up. You see the little things. Uh, the staff apparently was bouncing around the country to different events in, in Birmingham, Atlanta, Dallas, and here in Vegas. The, the focus on Vegas is important. Uh, I want to get to uh, Pop Isaacs here in a second, but you can see again. Uh, the philosophy that Otzelberger started of building a fence around Vegas. Kevin Kruger's a strong recruiter in Vegas, not only with UNLV, but also when he was at Oklahoma. Uh, they have three big targets here. And I'll tell you, one of the guys I really like, because he comes from just a family of athletes, competitors, and just big human beings, is Josh Jefferson, who had a one of his brothers played at UNLV on the offensive line uh, before going to Arkansas. He had another brother who's a massive human being uh, who played college football in multiple spots. And, and Josh Jefferson just seems like a guy who's just going to get bigger and bigger, but also has stretch elements to his game. It's always good when you're just naturally big because yeah. that's something that you can't teach, right? And so with Josh Jefferson just being a big human yep. um, and following the line in, in, in terms of his family and what they have in terms of athletic ability, I think that's obviously a get and is a local kid if you can keep him. I actually this past weekend had the ability to, uh, and, the, and the privilege to go out. My brother Jason was in town recruiting for Arizona. So I went and met him at, at Gorman uh, just to catch up and say, hey, brought my son over there so he could see his Uncle Jet. Um, hung out and was able to actually watch uh, Pop Pop play uh, okay. with his team, Team Why Not, Russell Westbrook's team out of California. And they played Vegas Elite. So I got to see him square up against Dior Johnson. Uh, obviously a good kid, a kid that you'd like to keep home if you can. 
but it's going to be some recruiting battles, especially with a guy that's that skilled in, from the point guard position. But everybody knows in college basketball, you have to have a point guard. That's going to lead your show, lead your team. Um, and so it's, it's obviously it's, it's a no-brainer that Kev's going to be trying to go after him as well as other schools across the country. But then you also got Milos Uzan, who's playing with Josh Jefferson with that Dream Vision team. Uh, so there's a lot of talent in Vegas uh, that obviously the Rebels are going to be going after, but it's not going to be so easy because there's going to be other schools. Um, like I mentioned, Jet was in town recruiting for Arizona with some eyes on some of those same targets. How hard is it to make up ground? Uh, Otz apparently did not recruit Isaacs at all. Well, you know, he had you know Zion Collins in the fold as his point guard of the future. That didn't work out for tragic reasons. Is that a hard thing to, to get done to gain ground? Because it's kind of interesting. Um, I think these schools are beatable. I mean, they're they're good. They have a good you know basketball programs. Creighton, God dang, they're in a, in again on uh, this kid. But also Oklahoma State and Arizona State have gotten official visits. But kind of gaining that ground. Do you do you have to be in on someone you know when they're thirteen, fourteen, or can you get it done down the stretch? I think it's a matter of if, if you have the same coaching staff and, and you weren't in, in on a kid early, it's going to be hard to get back in the game late. Mm. Um, if, if you say, hey, we missed out, we should have got him, we dropped the ball. But in this case, when you have a coaching change, it really just comes down to the relationships. Recruiting at the end of the day is the relationships that the coaches have with these kids, that they have with their parents, their high school coaches, their AAU coaches. And it's no secret that Kevin is a great relationship builder. Obviously, he learned that from his dad, Lon, and being on his staff and just being around him growing up. He knows what it takes to be able to get in the mix with kids. Um, and so that's what it's going to come down to. Because again, you can say, well, I didn't come out and recruit you because the former coach, that wasn't the vision. We had Zayon in the mix. There wasn't a need for you. But now you're someone I would have been coming after. And I'm sure he's had those conversations uh, with Pop-Pop and his dad and, and kind of their, their group of who's, who's going to be involved in his recruiting. Uh, but then you mentioned Creighton. I also saw Ryan Miller this weekend out recruiting. And coach Miller's out there doing his thing. Um, and, and that's one guy, again, I like Coach Miller, but at this time, Coach, back <laughs> yeah, off. Stay coach out of Vegas! Stay out of Vegas! Our, don't need him still in the targets out of Vegas at all. <laughs> Curtis, appreciate it. Have a good weekend. We'll talk to you. Thanks, Steve. Talk to you soon. There he is, Curtis Terry on a Thursday here at Silver 7s. Coming up, grab bag. We'll find out about one of the big stories at the Big 12 Football Media Day. Is the league really cracking down on taunting? Come on, guys. Let the kids have fun. The Cofield and Company crew is back tonight at 9 o'clock. It's the Law and Sporter podcast with Justin Watkins from Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Cofield and Company presents... Grab Bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. So next week, we're going to be out of Mountain West Conference Media Day. That'll be on uh, Wednesday. Mountain West is in town Wednesday and Thursday. Big 12 just wrapped up today. We're going to get someone on to talk a little Big 12 tomorrow. We'll try to cover every conference as they roll out here. Yep, football right around the corner. Real interesting stuff. Part of Big 12 Media Day was the discussion about a new taunting rule in the Big 12. Now what? Yeah, they're going to try to limit taunting uh, as much as possible and call more of the penalties, including the horns down gesture used against Texas. Uh, there was some clarification as they spoke about it yesterday. Uh, like many of these things, at first, you know, our famous six-game automatic suspension thing. Huh. Like, you know, at first it was any kind of taunting, any kind of signal, that's a penalty. They're like, well, I mean, if you do it to the sidelines, probably not. If you go in somebody's face and do it, then yeah, like. Now it's vague again. Now it's just who, now it's subjective. Now the officials get to police the game even more when they can barely handle their primary duties. Of course, it's going to be a mess. 
Stick your hand in there, Dave. Uh, NIL has been real fun in terms of creativity so far. I saw uh, one story about Wisconsin offensive line getting some kind of deal with, like, a big barbecue place. Locally, I guess Pittsburgh, the quarterback of Pittsburgh, Kenny Pickett, just uh, cemented a NIL deal with. A local steakhouse in Pittsburgh where he will, I assume, throw, like, social media posts of their dinners every Friday. Yeah. But every Friday night, the quarterback will be taking out all of his offensive linemen for full steak dinners at this place uh, under his NIL deal with them, which is very cool. Yeah. Also, as we were speaking, just saw that uh, the uh, quarterback for Oklahoma, Spencer, Spencer Rattler, will do a signing, $150 signing and photo. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, Pickett said uh, he'll be treating the linemen to a weekly hog dinner at the good. Oaklander Hotel at their restaurant, Spirits and Tales. So I would assume that's something just about every city around the country, someone could step up. Pretty easy one to put together for the quarterback or, or the best lineman as the lead guy. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, you know, it, it, it's so fascinating to monitor this. Like, this would be just commonplace, and it wouldn't be a big deal, except it's the first time they've, they've been able to do it, and I think people are finally seeing what these guys are missing out on. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Interesting report from a Rob Matty NFL guy out of Philadelphia. He's got info on the teams that are doing the best in terms of being fully vaccinated and the four teams that are doing the worst. Yeah. This is, this is National Football League. Sure. So we we have some updates because we knew that there was seven teams that are over the 85%, which allows you to get back to mostly normalcy. Um, do you want the teams that are doing well or poorly first? Well, because I, I get the feeling there's going to be no rhyme or reason. There really isn't. Um, the teams that are doing the best. Huh? Pittsburgh? Okay. I think Tomlin is a... Tomlin's a great coach. He's like, let's go. No nonsense guy. We want to win. Let's go. Miami. Okay. Carolina. All right. And Denver. Okay. Sorry, I should have a take, but I really don't. No no rubber teams. I mean. Just interesting. Yeah. Uh, I will say many people are freaking out about one of the teams that's on the under 50% vaccination list. Got to get the 85 (laughs) to operate normally. Otherwise, you're going to have some real restrictions in place. So I see a lot of people that are in the sports betting world and the fantasy world right now uh, commenting on one of the teams in particular. Uh, teams that have shot themselves in the foot repeatedly, both with clock management, game management, just figuring out ways to turn great teams into terrible teams. And there, once again, people are saying, well, they've done it again. Your Los Angeles Chargers. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Just and, the- and run by a nerd. Yeah. You know, we talk about the glutes and the nerds like you, you know. The Lions run by a big galoot. You got new nerd in place. Harsh, but, you know, I'm surprised on the Chargers. I, I kind of am, too. Um, another one that I'm kind of surprised by who, with the coach, the Colts. Okay. What are they doing? Get it together. Keep going. Arizona. I mean, really? And Daniel Snyder's Washington football team. Led by Ron Rivera, who beat cancer last year. Right. What? No rhyme or reason. That's weird. Under 50%, and training camp starts like in less than two weeks. What we said yesterday was a deadline you know, for that two-week fully vaccinated thing. So they're definitely going into training camp with a bunch of limitations. Uh, yeah, and for, then, for and sure. And then they'll, they'll, obviously they'll all get their first dose, you know, like 10 days in when they have to travel. 
and that's when the travel restrictions are in place with, uh, you know, vaccinated players treated differently than unvaccinated players. And again, players. This, is, this is not a vaccine argument. This is a competitive advantage argument. Like teams will not be able to have their meetings in person. We uh, we had a good discussion last night with Saran Petro, and I haven't seen anyone talk about this. Has anyone made the connection in baseball? You know, the baseball rule is if the if the team is not above a threshold, everyone has to stay in when they go on the road. And the Royals have had a real you know real problem getting most of the team fully vaccinated. Royals are like fifteen and thirty eight. That probably a little that's a little off, but whatever. Their record is the second worst in baseball on the road, next to the Diamondbacks. Yeah, and he was saying that there's there's a lot of infighting, there's a lot of problems that you know when they're going on the road because of the rules that they're all they're all responsible for what others do not want to do yeah. that it's that it's fracturing the team. All right, we're out of here.